I mean, yeah, Every, it really like, wasn't. The food was delicious, but uh, I did. I wouldn't have noticed it if you hadn't said something. But I didn't realize how um, barbecue sauce centric the rest of the barbecue I'd been having was until you said that, and I was like, oh, I guess Texas doesn't really like. I don't know. It's all seasoned very well, but. All right. You know what? Howdy, y'all. It's the Weird Vibes podcast. Howdy, y'all. I'm Hop Along Sam. I'm Dana. Pecos. Pecos Dana. Why you keep call- What's Pecos Dana? Like Pecos Bill. He rode a tornado, dog. I want to write... Oh, I just started thinking of um, Dr. Strangelove, but that was a missile that he was riding. Yeah, that, that was yeah. different. But um, we just got back from Texas. Austin, specifically. We had so much fun. Keep Austin I weird, y'all. so much food. And we went to the coolest place I've ever been. The Museum of the Weird, which we're here to talk about tonight. I loved that place. It was like a museum for us. Yeah. Ayo. I mean, there was a sideshow act. There was all types of hoaxy, cool bullshit. There was a Fiji mermaid. There was a Hand of Glory. There was all kinds of stuff, but we'll get to that in a little bit. I think we're going to talk a little bit about just our experience in Austin first, and um, just some of the things we did and some of the things we liked, so... I don't know. What do you think, Dana? Um, so we did kind of initially, so we were going for Sam's birthday, but we centered a lot of the trip around the Austin uh, Food and Wine Festival, which is like in downtown Austin. And it was really, really cool kind of doing one of those like, oh, in the park, like, uh, like boozy festival things and then looking up and you can just see the Austin skyline. It was like our first time in the city too. So it was just like a really, I almost want to say surreal experience because I kept... I kept telling you this, but I kept almost forgetting we were in a different place because it reminds me a lot of Sacramento. So much. It's like what Sacramento is going to be in like 10 years, I feel like. Well, I heard people in Austin mentioning Sacramento, and when I told people in Sacramento we went to Austin, they kept talking about how, oh, isn't it like Sacramento? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're very very similar places in a good way. I think Austin's more friendly. Sorry, Sacramento, I love you, but people there smile, and you guys know we don't do that here. That's definitely true. Sacramento definitely has a little bit of a... Like, be afraid of each other in the street kind of thing, but... on Unfortunately. I, I try to smile at people, but... Definitely. I feel like it, in Austin it was way... I don't know. Everyone was super nice there. It was really friendly. And what was your favorite thing you ate? My favorite thing I ate... Did you try the grilled cheese bite? The grilled cheese bite was killer, man. Yeah. Um, also that, (laughs) so it was technically a stand that was selling dry shampoo, but they were using a type of lavender that I think, I don't remember what the connection, I think it was the lavender. Carla Hall was there and she, um, she had a certain recipe that they were using. It was like a chicken tarragon recipe and there was some type of herb that was in the dry shampoo that I know that they like, I don't remember what the connection was, but she was partnering with them and she was standing there and I got to meet her. That chicken tarragon, not only was it really fun to meet her. But that was a really, really good bite. Um, I know there's something else we got back, like, both days because we really liked... Oh, okay. The deviled eggs at that front place. That's the most random thing to be eating in the sun, but those deviled eggs Oh, from eggs Chef were... Dally. Yeah, from Chef Dally. He competed in the Rock Your Taco event. He had... Exactly. Um, the Rock Your Taco... <gasps> the event. duck taco. Sorry. Yeah, the Sorry. Rock Your Taco event was um, an event we went to at night that um, was a big taco competition... That a bunch of chefs were competing in, a bunch of chefs from Austin, Aaron Sanchez was competing, Andrew Zimmern was competing, but um, Chef Daly 
um, was one of my favorite tacos of the night. Like Dana was saying, it was called the Double Ducker Taco. <laughs> yeah. And it was inspired by Taco Bell, and you got to choose whatever Taco Bell hot sauce you wanted, but it was this kind of elevated duck taco, but it was basically just a take on the Double Decker Taco. Yeah. Which was awesome. <laughs> it was really good. That one was delicious. Do you think that was your favorite one? At that event, I think that one that didn't, the guy who didn't really have a line, I can't remember his name for the life of me, but he had that raw beef tostada, and I think it might have just thrown people off, but it was so it good. It was delicious. That was really good. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite bites from the weekend. Uh, honestly, I think my favorite would have been the um, that pork shoulder with the watermelon barbecue sauce. Oh my, that was, that was amazing. That one was really, really good. But you're right. The, the deviled egg from Chef Daddy <laughs> was amazing. It was a huevos rancheros. Huevos rancheros. Yeah. <laughs> deviled egg. But, dude, it was so good. Yeah, and they kept them cold and out of the sun. So somehow in the in the heat on both days, I was like, I want that. And it mm-hmm. was delicious. We obviously had a lot of barbecue. Um, My clothes that I've washed still smell like a char pit. I think I finally got the smell of smoke out of my hair, but it took a lot of washes, which if you know me, I don't even do that a lot. So <laughs> I did, I did it a lot. Um, I really like too, that there were cooking demos with this. I feel like I usually will just like wander around something like this and just like eat and snack. But we did some of the demos and we sat in on the, um, that desert door tasting, was probably one of my highlights of the weekend just because the guy who was, I think he was one of the founders, he was just so in love with what he did and he was so committed to it. Do you happen to remember the name of the plant that the liquor was made out of? I'm going to look it up right now, but I don't remember. It's almost like a tequila. But it's it's like a cousin, right? Yeah, it, it comes from a plant that grows only in Texas He kept talking about how he always heard stories from his grandfather and his cousins of all these people bootlegging this liquor. So obviously, like any 15-year-old, I guess, he bootlegged this liquor and it was terrible. (laughs) And he just kept doing it and kept doing it. And it ended up being good. And he and his friends found out that there weren't any distilleries making this kind of almost exclusively bootleg Texas liquor. And... He um, decided to produce it commercially, and it, it's really amazing. It's almost um, like Sotol. a Sotol, the Sotol planet. It's almost um, a gin and a tequila mixed together. It's yeah. really, really nice, honestly. It's very, I want to say, not mild, but it's almost like it's more smooth than a tequila, but just like naturally, just because it's not really an agave plant. It's not an agave plant, mm-hmm. it's a Sotol plant. <laughs> It's really good, though. That one was probably one of my highlights of the weekend. Oh, I absolutely loved it. The The Guinness float with the Guinness ice cream. That was so, it was surprisingly good. Also, the place giving out mini bottles of champagne. Oh, that was great. Was that Vuvliquot? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But the label looked very... Oh, it was so much fun. Yeah. Anyway, I could, I could talk all day about just the food, and then we had this, and then we had this. But I, um, I'd well, I'll spare all more, you guys. <laughs> I'd rather talk more about all those fun little creatures you mentioned at the Museum of the Weird, though. Yeah, so the Museum of the Weird, as I mentioned earlier, um, might be one of my favorite places in the United States. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> I don't know how many of you guys are Neil Gaiman fans. I'm assuming if you're friends with us, you're probably pretty big fans. <laughs> but, um... It reminds me so much of the places he describes in 
American Gods, mm-hmm. when he describes those places that are obvious, the side of the road attractions, they're obviously hoaxes. You don't know what's true. You don't know what's real. But if you kind of just squint your eyes mm-hmm. enough in your soul yeah, and just kind of let yourself go, there's something really magical about it. There's there He describes it as kind of a space between reality and fiction to where a lot of magical things can happen. Yeah. And that place is so much that for me. It's clearly a labor of love. It's been open since 2013. Um, what were some of your highlights? I've already said some of mine. Like, obviously, I loved The Hand of Glory, The Fiji Mermaid, all your standard yeah. well, sideshow type of stuff. This was actually kind of my first real experience like this. Like, I obviously, I understood a lot. Like, I, I know a lot about sideshows, and I know about these types of things, but I, I'd never been to one like this. And, um, I think my favorite, I, because I didn't have any context for these things, like the Fiji mermaid and the skeleton in the front room that was like the ghost that haunted the place. Mm -hmm. Um, those were probably my two favorites overall that I'm like remembering now, but also that case that had the like animal oddities were those real. Oh yeah. Those were all real. Those are real. Okay. Like so, the two-headed calves, the, yeah. the, the conjoined mice, yeah. the, all that type of stuff. Oh, yeah, that's those were definitely real. Those are just, like, oddities that were born that mm-hmm. way, and people kept them. Okay, so that I really liked, just because I'm, I'm, I've always been about things like that. And I do know that in that first room, there were so many different things that I got to read about that I really liked, just because these things happen to real people in the sense that, like, Somebody along the line was probably, like, selling a story or, like, you know, doing something. Mm -hmm. But there were so many people in real, like, real human people that this item or this history interacted with that give it a real context. It reminds me of reading historical fiction. Definitely. Definitely. Because there's, like, a real world around it. And then there's this thing in it that's just kind of this, like, red herring that, like, you just don't know. You're like, I don't... Something in the story you can't put your finger on. And I think you touched on that earlier. I love that feeling. I think that Mm -hmm. it's... I think it's, like, Americana sideshow personified. It's a... Well, not personified. Obviously, it's still... It's the place there. I guess... It personified would be the actual sideshow that we saw there. Yeah. Which was super cool. But I loved it. I, I thought it was like the most charming place ever. And I yeah. love that feeling of mystery you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I, I think it's, there are so many, I don't want to say objects, the whole thing, the whole, the dedication to the performance mm-hmm. art, the dedication to the craft of it, the dedication to just the imagination. The staff. Yeah, they, it really, <laughs> it's indicative of, like, I know kind of we talk about this a lot in our personal lives. I'm sure we brought it up on the podcast. But, like, that kind of Joseph Campbell idea of, like, a capital S story mm-hmm. that kind of almost sur- supersedes, like, fact or fiction because a good story is a good story. And so many of these things describe humanity with, like, a capital S, like, story-wise. That it, it doesn't matter. Obviously, the Hand of Glory is not real. Obviously, the Fiji mermaids taxidermied, all these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... They tell us about who we are in such a fun fucking way. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really beautiful way to put that. I couldn't agree more. And just the way, again, how you were talking about the way we tell stories, you just kind of, you lose yourself and your imagination a little bit. The most fun I had there was watching my mom freak out because she didn't know this was all a (laughs) shtick. She didn't know this was performance Uh, art and she was freaked the hell out. Yeah. She was scared. 
Yeah. My but there f- were a lot of moments I was, too. I just... I don't know. Maybe I... Again, the reason we're here, obviously, I... Um, <laughs> we're, we're here to talk about the Minnesota Iceman, y'all. Hey, y'all. Which is one of my favorite just pieces of Americana. I learned a lot about the Minnesota Iceman going to um, the Museum of the Weird in Austin... I honestly thought there was a ton of them all over the world. I thought it was kind of an attraction. So you knew you had context for it before this? Yes. Okay. The, there's just the one. Or the two, as maybe you'll see. Or the one, as maybe you'll see later, so, as we get into this story. So Sam did a lot of his own research because he's brilliant. and he's There's gonna, Sam's notes. There's, there's Sam's notes, Sam's everybody. Notes. So I'm really excited... That's the rustle of Sam's notes. <laughs> I'm really excited for him to tell us all about this. But one thing that I think, even in the... So, for context, at the Museum of the Weird, there is a room that keeps the Minnesota Iceman now. So, that's where we saw it. But I, initially, even during watching the video, because they even talk about other hoaxes, like in the video that you watch in there... I also assumed that there was more than one. I assumed that there were tons of them. And I think you and I talked about it briefly. And maybe because when you talked about it before you'd done, like, the notes for this episode, that mm-hmm. you were, um, you'd, you'd mentioned that there was, like, a bunch of them, that it was, like, a famous thing. But those other ones, do you think that there are other ones out there that are, like, just mimic hoax ones? Or is it just this one and it travels? This is, it's the one that travels. Oh, okay. All right. So, before we get too far in, obviously, uh-huh. <laughs> I got the notes, but, um, Dana, what's this Minnesota Iceman all about? <laughs> you love doing this to me, don't you? Um, so I kind of get Sasquatch vibes, but I don't get Sasquatch vibes, because really what I get is Encino Man vibes, because I'm pretty sure... That and another movie they mentioned were like, oh, they're kind of inspired by this. You have no idea how close you are to the actual, I mean, like, the fabricated story, but you have no idea how close you are it's, to okay, the Okay, so that's story. the fabricated, okay, so in the fabricated story, I think they say that it's like, oh, it was a man found a nice, and it, they say that it inspired, they, they mentioned a movie, but it wasn't Encino Man, it was like the older, there was like an older version of that that's like, I think made in the 50s or 60s. I'm not sure. Okay, let's let's paint okay, a picture for how you, we yeah, encountered you. the Minnesota Iceman. <laughs> so we had gone through most of this museum. It's amazing. We had a lot of a lot of fun. They take you into the final room. There's some cool effects, um, makeup kind of things. There are um, there are some um, movie monster props. There's a oh, ghoulie. Yeah, the wax museum, which is so fun. And you wait behind the store for a few minutes, and they kind of hype you up a little bit, you know, like you're about to see something really fun. They lead you into this room, completely dark. This woman in a lab coat with a fake German accent comes out <laughs> and starts telling you about this Minnesota Iceman. You think it was fake? Of course it was. She dropped the accent more than once on accident. Are you serious? I thought it was real. I was like, what's this German lady t- and presses play on this VHS recording of an Unsolved Mysteries about the Minnesota Iceman. Can I just pause you for a second? I'm so mad at how gullible I am, Sam. I was literally just like... I love you. (laughs) I was like, what is this? That's the magic of this place. I thought the place was real because I was like, what is this like random Austrian lady doing living here? Doing her science. Doing her doing her science in her lab coat at the Museum of the Weird. I legit thought she was there to preserve the integrity of his like temperature. 
It was cold in there. It was very cold. I mean, to be fair, the exhibit as an exhibit is legit. There is a giant block of ice mm-hmm. that needs to be frozen all the time that has something frozen in it that looks like a, like a Neanderthal. Oh, it looks like, like a puppet. I mean, to be fair, you can barely see it, but that's also the magic of it. <laughs> okay. okay, so let's right. get into this. All right, let's get into it. The Minnesota Iceman has been a sideshow exhibit. It's been exhibited all over the North America, all over um, the United States, all over Canada since the 1960s through the 70s. It was a sideshow exhibit. It Most people would consider it this elaborate hoax that basically is a man trying to convince people that there is a Neanderthal or a missing link between humans and apes frozen in this giant block of ice. <laughs> mm-hmm. The description of the Minnesota Iceman, can we just call him the M-I-M? Mm-hmm. Okay. The Min. Or the Ice Iceman. Call Iceman. him Iceman. Iceman. That's cool. Um, he is approximately six foot tall. He's very hairy. He has very large hands and feet, dark hair, a flat nose, Possibly a broken arm, and possibly there's an eye out of socket, which I definitely didn't see. Yo, this is called Drogo. <laughs> it's called Drogo! So, <laughs> he's been all over the world. We'll get into the history in a little bit, but where we saw him was at the Museum of the Weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it was purchased by the owner, Steve Boosty, in 2013. Off of eBay, of all places. So he bought the Iceman off of eBay. Yeah, the listing said, this is the actual sideshow gaff billed as the Minnesota Iceman by Frank Hansen in the 1960s. This is a -a one-of-a-kind hoax that was fabricated by a mid-20th century showman. Do you think that the person who sold it on eBay kept it on ice the whole time? I'm sure, I mean, they, probably not. To be honest is, with you, once we get into the history of it, as you'll see, it's pretty murky. Okay. Uh, the reason I ask is because the the ice obviously like uh, mars your view just perfectly. So I wonder, like, you know, if it has to stay that way because it was done right or whatever. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Go we'll on. see. Bought in two thousand thirteen. Go on. So let's get into the history of the ice mm-hmm. man. So, as the story goes. A promoter and exhibitor named Frank Hansen in the early 60s bought um, the Minnesota Iceman, he claims, from Siberia for an absentee owner that was he described as an eccentric California millionaire. Okay. And over the years, he toured it, obviously, in sideshows, like we had talked about earlier, all through North, North America, all over the place. Um, in 1968, he hired two cryptozoologists, Ivan Sanderson and Bernard Havelmans, to um, examine the Minnesota Iceman. Um, so he brought them to his trailer in Minnesota where he kept them, and they concluded that he, this was a real thing. It, they concluded <laughs> that, it was or, that it was organic, at least. Okay, all right. They're... Um, their quote was that there was some putrefaction where the flesh had been exposed to melted ice. So obviously, um, these guys thought there was something going on. Just some history on these guys. They were obviously cryptozoologists. Um, 
Sanderson was, we'll get to in a little bit, um, he was the scientific editor of a pulp magazine in Britain that was very into um, sensational stories, just kind of kind of like a old-school National Enquirer but in Britain. So they obviously had, um, I, I don't want to say a stake in this being real. Okay. But they they definitely were on the side of the believers. It wouldn't have hurt them if it was real. Definitely. Okay, definitely. see, I was definitely. wondering, I was like, that's kind of... What kind of made me pause about it was you mentioning when you were telling me about the research earlier, you mentioned the Smithsonian and these dudes. And I was just like, okay, there's outside, when you get outside credibility, especially like in a science, like we all know, like the scientific community, what that is, is like, it's basically just pure editing. It's Obviously, other people yeah, being like, yeah. like checking your sources, checking your method, checking all of those things. So as soon as you said other people agreed, I was just like, oh, all right. No, it's not, it's strange, right? Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, in 1969, Havelman's, he wrote an article for a Belgian scientific journal, which he um, claimed that the Minnesota Iceman, he thought, was a new species of Neanderthal that um, was found in Vietnam, and he he thought it was um, probably killed during the Vietnam War, even though it was this kind of in-between species. There was a um, blunt force trauma wound in the back of the Minnesota Iceman's head that could be indicative of kind of a weird bullet wound Mm. that he thought that might have been caused by. Okay. But obviously, kind of once you get into these waters of, oh, this is something that was found... This was a body that was found in Vietnam yeah. during the Vietnam War. Yeah. It very quickly becomes something possibly very, more nefarious. Very suspect. Well, at one point, the FBI even investigated this. Okay. Um, and I don't know how I feel about this. Because there was so much talk of this being a hoax around it, they called it off really fast. Uh, and, like, this see, could have just been a murder. That's what was well, talked as, about for a long time. As soon as you said blunt force trauma, I was like, okay, what more... I don't want to say it's a genius way, because it's kind of, like, a stupid genius way, but what more genius way to hide a body if you're, like, a sideshow person than to, like, have a new sideshow? Literally. That I mean, looks kind of like a puppet, and nobody's ever going to check, because you're going to say, oh, you're messing with the integrity of my, like, ancient relic. Don't mm-hmm. Don't melt my murder evidence body. Well, Sorry, and not to get that. well, not to get too <laughs> deep into um, next week's episode. Oh, but yes. um, the reason I, I sort of know about the Iceman in general is um, from one of my favorite authors, Joe Lansdale, who's also from Texas, who I just cleaned up with at the bookstores there because Texas loves their authors, man. I'm so excited to talk about all that on the next week. But um, I don't want to spoil the book, but he wrote an old book called Freezer Burn about a um, traveling sideshow that had an Iceman, and there ended up being something very interesting and nefarious about the Iceman. Um, interesting Interesting and nefarious. That sounds like our life. Mm-hmm. So, do you think... what What's your personal opinion on it being nefarious or not? On it being a criminal or not, I guess is my question. Um, because that changes the whole story, dude. You know, I, I think 
personally, it was an attraction the whole time. Okay. But as you'll see, as we get a little deeper into this story, mm-hmm. it could have very easily been nefarious. I don't kind of wa- I don't want to burn the end of the story quite yet. Okay. But there is, you guys will all see once we get there. There's a very um big. There's a very big opportunity to tamper with any evidence that could have played poorly in the owner's hand. I'm going to stop interrupting you, and I'm going to let you get to the history of this, because that sounds super interesting. Okay, let's... It gets pretty wacky from here. You ready? You with me? I'm buckled in. I'm ready to go. You with me, Sweden? I'm with you, Scott. All right. Okay, the other cryptozoologist. You remember him? Mm -hmm. Sanderson? Sanderson. He was, as I said earlier, the editor of a um, British pulp magazine yeah. called Ar- Argosy? Argosy? Called Ar- the Argosy Magazine. And in April of 1969, he published the headline, Is This the Missing Link Between Man and Apes? With a picture of the Minnesota Iceman. Okay. Um, also, this was about the time that Sanderson went on all these shows, filmed that episode of... Um, filmed that episode... Of Unsolved Mysteries that we had talked about earlier. And things just get weirder. Just (laughs) get weirder and weirder and you lose the plot so quickly. And then, if it wasn't complicated enough, our good friend John Napier... Do you know John Napier? He's he's a very famous um, zoologist. He's done a lot of work with Bigfoot, but he's also very respected... I own, I, I'm not going to lie, I remember him from earlier today when you were doing your research and you mentioned that he was kind of known as like a Bigfoot researcher, um, almost like a, I don't remember what the term you used was, but the type that of, oh yeah, that he, was he a, a forensic zoologist or cryptozoologist? No, he's a, he's a zoologist. Okay, he's, all right, yeah. <laughs> this is where it gets so weird. Um, he contracted John Napier to investigate the Minnesota Iceman under the official auspices of the Smithsonian Institute. See, this is what freaks me out. So this is really, (laughs) really serious. Yeah, that's what gets me. That's so official. Why would they take it seriously? So you think this is weird? I... Hasn't gotten weird yet. No, 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 no. Hasn't gotten weird yet. I feel like it's about to get weirder. At this point, Hansen withdraws the Iceman on orders from his mysterious California millionaire benefactor. Okay, creep. Nobody knows why. This is, at that point, why... If you want to go in a nefarious dark way, if you want to run with that story of, oh, this could have possibly been a murder victim from Vietnam, this could have been any number of things... you can let your mind run with this because it's a really weird, creepy thing to do. It is you commissioned a study and then you immediately withdrew the subject of that study. But maybe he just didn't think it would get taken seriously and he was calling the bluff. And then when it got taken seriously, well, no, because if you're, why would you commission a study that's so next level? And it really would be an opportunity for something nefarious to, like, slip through if you're going to, like, not... I want to stop saying that. I feel like we could have a drinking game with how many times we've said nefarious in this episode. It is nefarious! It is nefarious! <laughs> so, you think this is weird yet? I didn't. Nope. It's not. <laughs> is it about to get weirder? So, after 
Hansen and the Benefactor um, withdraw the Minnesota Iceman. They bring in, they claim they procured a new one. Um, what? That, um, that, um, onlookers, fans, the people who immediately, obviously because it's a big attraction, the the people, just the civilians who saw it, immediately claimed it was clearly different, clearly a latex model, not the same thing at all. What do you make of that? That's really weird. Only because the one that I saw, remember I told you, like you said, you said, oh, like we could barely see it. I thought it looked incredibly fake through the ice, but I also remember them saying that like, oh, it disappeared for a while and then a second one popped up in that video. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, what if they hid the real one and this is just a decoy? But for real. That's what I'm saying, man. What happened to the Minnesota Iceman? Uh, maybe he got put back in the ice. Like, real ice. Like, in a cave somewhere. I mean, like, we're not even done with our story yet, but we could debate... We could (laughs) talk about this for hours. Like, we could talk about this till the sun comes up Why do you think... Why do you think he withdrew it from the study? The first one. The quote-unquote first one. Do you want a fun answer? Do you want my real answer? I want your real answer. I think that he... I think his bluff got called. I think as a showman, he wanted to have requested a Smithsonian investigation of his Iceman so he could paint that, that he was denied because the government is so in denial of what I have. What I have is so true, they're scared of it. I think that would sell well. And they were all just like, yeah, man, let's see it. Like, yeah, dude, totally. Just a piece of ice. With some rubber in it. Let's go let's, for let's it. Let's go for it. Yeah, I think he got called out. Okay. All right. So, again, this story has probably reached peak weirdness. <laughs> but now it just gets, like, lazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know exactly what you're talking about. Listen, I've been in a group project after midterms. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the Smithsonian Institute, after getting put through this Carnival Barker's, like, hoax. <laughs> he called the Carnival Barker? He literally barked the Iceman at a carnival. That's he was true. a carnival That's barker. That's true. Okay. So, the Smithsonian Institute and zoologist John <laughs> Napier concluded, get ready for this. Here's the twist. Uh-huh. The Smithsonian Institute is satisfied that the creature is simply a carnival exhibit made of latex, rubber, and hair. The original, the present so-called substitute, are one in the same. (laughs) Okay, how did they find that out, though, if they didn't get to test the first? Napier concluded that it was fake the whole time, but to make it seem more real somehow... Because they were just weird, like, liars? <laughs> just, like, super cool charlatans. Okay. But, so, <laughs> what Napier concludes is that to make it more believable, Hansen thawed the Iceman out, claimed they got another Iceman because, okay... What? Repositioned the original Latex Iceman... I don't understand the point. And refroze it. So, 
it, it even goes it even goes farther than that. <laughs> Why? Um, Why? Napier <laughs> somehow got like police involved, got private investigators involved, found out that Hansen had actually commissioned in 1967, two years earlier, the exact same model. Like, he, he commissioned a big latex Minnesota Iceman from, like, <laughs> this, like, Hollywood effects company. Okay, but if he did that two years before, what was the thing in there before? It was the same one. He thought it out, repositioned it, and said he got a new one because somehow that's more believable in this nitwit's I brain. I do not. And okay, I under- I don't want to call him a nitwit. I think Hanson might be one of my heroes. I don't. I'm so confused because I feel- You're supposed to be. You're supposed to be confused. That's the whole point. That's what makes it magical. That's what makes it worthwhile. That's what makes it everything worth it it's that little kid when we sat down in the sideshow in the next room and he was just quizzing his dad on what he just saw he knew it was real he knew some of the things didn't make sense he knew he was nine years old and he needed to figure out the minnesota Iceman. that's what made the entire museum worthwhile that's what made the sideshow who we saw next the guy um black widow not Black Widow, I'm so sorry, the Black Scorpion, who's the coolest guy around. I loved him. He was so... First of all, he was so sweet after, just like in his like normal, you know, when you talk to them right after the show. And, because I know you got a chance to talk to him, but I just like heard him. But in general, just his show, I had never seen a sideshow before. And I was blown away at his, um, I guess, showmanship is the only word for it. I think this is something that you'll understand because you've read Geek Love, and that's really my only, that's my main exposure to, like, carnival life in the sense that it's, like, it's written in the sense of, like, a family running a carnival and, like, kind of, like, a group of sideshows. When the main character also has extradactyly. Oh, you're right. That's absolutely right. Which is the, um, the, like, the crab claw syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be crude about it. But, I mean... That's what That's, the scorpion said. Yeah, too. yeah. So um, he, I just think his his showmanship in that, especially in my exposure to, I guess, literally, it's a it's a book that I love. It's called Geek Love. Um, my only exposure to that, I feel like, kind of, it didn't make me wary. I just knew that it would. It's not. There's a very fine line between feeling like you're gawking at people and knowing that these people are empowered in the sense that they are being given their own um, kind of agency and um, ability to speak for themselves. Like it's a platform, I think. Yeah. And I'm not saying that the Scorpion has like the easiest life in the world. Obviously, he doesn't. But he's, yeah, man, he's a volunteer at that place. That's kind of what I was getting at. Oh, even. I didn't know that. Yeah, the fact that it's that that kid being so amazed that the, him playing to them, him, him just really just laid it on thick for these little he kids. He was amazing. He, yeah, he he volunteers three days a week. I didn't know that. I didn't man. mean to step on you. I just I felt like it add to what you were no, saying. No, because I had no idea. I thought he... I, I didn't think he lived in that back room, but I thought he worked there as like a full-time gig like five days a week. No, he kept saying, I volunteer here. He was just... Uh, it was really great. He was really cool. I mean, he was, <laughs> he was, he was trained. He was Coney Island trained. He said yeah. it many times. It was such a fun experience. Yeah, I think that was the thing is like I keep saying showmanship, but you could... 
in his theatrics and his voices and his jokes, like, when he was saying Coney Island Train, like, you could tell. He was, he took what he did seriously as a craft and he did it well. It made me feel, I think this is one of the most magical things that I can, like, feel when I'm traveling or when I'm going anywhere new. He made me feel like I was in one of the stories I've read about. Like, I, I felt like I was being narrated in a story I've read. Yeah, I mean, it's a type of showmanship that it, we talk about a lot in, like, the lexicon of our stories. I, th- I think it's very American. It's very, it's very mystical. It's, it's very, it's very American in the fact that it's mystical. You know, it... it it's very, it, like, something this way, wicked this way comes. Very, like, American gods. All of that is yeah, very, yeah. I think we, we got to experience all of that. Even if it was just for a little while. Even if it was a revival. Even if it was, you know, a little cheesy, so there was a lot of passion there, and I think the magic really came through for us as somebody who just turned thirty-two. <laughs> you know, like I, I was a little boy. I was that little boy questioning his dad what was real, what wasn't. As jaded as I am, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. That place was magic. It really was. I'm really glad that we got to do that together. So. I think we should probably end here. Wrap that up. Um, before we start talking about everything else we love. Um, we can't wait to talk to you guys um, next episode about all our favorite authors, like we said. Oh, well, yeah. I guess not all our well, favorite we, authors. And we didn't really even say. We haven't actually talked about what we're doing next episode. So I'm, I think I kind of um, talked about it a little earlier. I'm going to be covering Joe Lansdale, one of my favorite authors of all time. They call him the Bar to Beats, Texas. Um, he... I, he, he's very eclectic. I learned about him in a splatterpunk anthology that I found, which could be a whole nother episode. Yeah, seriously. Um, he writes a lot of r- books your dad would read, but a little dirtier. Yeah, I like love it. After your mom goes to sleep. Yeah, like lots of hard-boiled detective novels. <laughs> um, they call it Southern Fried Noir. Yeah. Lots of horror, lots of fun stuff. He, he reminds me of Joe Bob Briggs a lot, which I can't wait to go watch Isn't, tonight. Didn't you say that's on tonight? Of course it's on yeah. tonight. So we're going to do that. And then I'm talking about? I'm going to be talking about Philip K. Dick because while I have many favorite authors, I would say that as of right now in this era of my life, Philip K. Dick is probably the most prolific for me. Um, he is, like, a, a sci-fi godfather, for sure. Um, but he also reminds me of Ursula Le Guin in the sense that a lot of his stories are also just whimsical. A lot of his stories just ask, what if? And I think that's one of my favorite things about sci-fi is the ability to, like, yeah, you go into space and you, you know, you go through time travel and you can do whatever you want with science and you can do all of these interesting, like, futuristic ideas but I've, you know, I've said this a million times and I might honestly read it for our next episode because it's a short one. Mm-hmm. That story about the Brown Oxford to this day will forever be one of my favorite stories. And it's just about a shoe that comes alive and it finds its mate and it walks out of its house. And it is one of the most beautifully written stories I've ever read. And it just, he just, I think one of the things I learned about him as a writer or as, yeah, as a writer myself and as like a fan is that you can literally draw any whimsy you want when you write. And I think mm-hmm. that that's something that I really love with his writing. And I know that I just started ranting about him and it's supposed to be for next episode. But we're going to be talking about 
Joe Lansdale and Philip K. Dick. And I think we just said those two authors, right? I think yeah. that was it. I think that's it. Yeah, so we'll see you then. All right, don't get cooked, you turkeys. Yeah, you turkeys, don't get cooked. <laughs>